I have a vision for our church that when the service is over, we stay in the room. And that's saying a lot when we're currently renting and sharing space. I see a church where when the check is paid, we stay at the table. And I envision a community that when the tears stop flowing, we keep hugging. But I wonder if we're ready for that kind of intimacy, because it requires something. But what I want to do today, just for fun, if you don't mind looking at the people sitting around you, your left and your right, just look at one person and say, you look good. <laughs> and then look at the other person and say, you look almost as good. <laughs> Hopefully you chose wisely. <laughs> but trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. But now that we kind of have these triads, we have you in groups of three, uh, what I want to do is share with you that according to a recent Harvard University study, one in three of you believe you have needs in your life and no one to meet them. You have hurts to share and no one to listen to them. And you have lots of love to give, but no one to receive it. One in three of you are missing something very significant in your life a core group of intimate relationships to spiritually support you and nurture you as you continue to take your next step toward God. So in a normal group of three people, this Harvard study shows, actually it's a little bit more than one in three, it's 36% of Americans that were surveyed, endure ongoing feelings of loneliness, isolation, and a longing to love and be loved. More than one in three know that something is missing relationally. And let me just say this, God never intended it to be that way. So I want to go all the way back to the beginning of God's word, because today we're wrapping up our message series, We Are the Church, and we're looking at letting go of loneliness because God never intended it this way. So at the very beginning of God's word in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he said, let there be light. And the light was good. He created day, he created night, he created land, he created water. He said, it is good. God created the stars and the plants and the fish and the birds. And he said, it was all good. And then God said something was not good. After creating man with no one to celebrate with, no one to laugh with, no one to enjoy life with, then in chapter two, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So God said, I will make a helper who is just right for him. And you're, if you're here with your spouse, it's a good reminder today to think, you are just right for me. <laughs> Verse 22 of Genesis chapter 2, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. And I like what the man said. He says, at last, like, yes, God, way to go. Now you're on the right track. I'm getting sick of the animals. <laughs> but now what I want to do is show you what God said before that. So before he created Adam and before he created Eve, let's go back to Genesis chapter one. And I wanna show you what God said before he created mankind. Genesis one verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. 
Like, what? Like, notice God didn't say, let me make mankind in my image and in my likeness. God said, let us make man in our image. He used a plural pronoun more than once. Now, it's hard for us to get our mind around this, but God himself is never alone. God, the being God, is actually perfect community. God is God, and God is three distinct personalities in one. It's the mystery of the Trinity. God is one, and yet God is community. He is one being, and yet he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's three distinct personalities united as one God. God is a community. So why did this community, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, as one being, create us? God didn't create us because he was lonely. God created us because he is love. He is a community, he is love. Love isn't just what he does, but love is who he is. He is a community of love and created you to know him and to love and to be loved. And that's why when someone asks Jesus, what's the most important thing you can do? What's the most important command of all? Jesus says, of everything else, the most important thing you can do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and to love the person sitting next to you, on both sides of you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the early church, the New Testament believers, after Jesus gave his life on the cross and was raised from the dead, a few of them gathered, they heard the word, 3,000 people were saved, and they understood this, like they got it. They embraced this community as an essential part of their spiritual journey. They loved one another. In fact, in fact Acts chapter two shows us something incredibly powerful about how often they met. Acts 2.46 says, every day. How often did they meet? They didn't just meet every Sunday for the 9 a.m. service when they weren't too tired from staying out the night before or because the Leafs won and they were celebrating a bit too hard. <laughs> <laughs> or there was a game coming on on the Sunday or the family was in town and I can keep going. It's like, I'm tired, let's skip church. It's gonna be posted online on Tuesday. We'll watch it then. No, no, scripture says, how often did they meet? Not once a week, but every day. Every day they needed each other. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread. Where? In their homes. Like with people? Yeah, they left their door open. They let people in their houses. They ate in their homes and they weren't even upset about it. <laughs> they had glad and sincere hearts and they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day these crazy followers of Jesus met together and it was so much more than just physical proximity. It was emotional unity. It wasn't just like, yeah, we're spending time together and we're, we're doing the quantity time thing. This is quality time, emotional unity. And why did they meet together so often? It's simply because they needed each other. They just needed each other. But it's easy to kind of think, well, back then, it's, it's not like it is today. Today's easy, life's easy today. No problems, no tension, economy's good, price of eggs is cheap. I don't know why I'm stuck on the eggs. I bring that up every week. <laughs> back then though, oh, that must have been more difficult. Back then there was a spiritual battle. Back then there was a prince of darkness coming against the people of God. Back then, well, they got persecuted for their faith. 
Back then, people were getting sick and they needed prayer. And there were people who were hurting that needed each other. And they didn't want to go alone without having somebody who loved them, to unite together, to share around the Word of God, to lift one another up, to strengthen them, to be the body of Christ in a world that needed Jesus. No one back then said, ah, oh, it's Tuesday again. We got to go to life group. <laughs> no, they went with glad and sincere hearts. So I want to show you the fundamental difference between the first century Christians and the believers today. The fundamental difference between the early church and the people today is this. The first century believers desperately needed each other and they knew it. And believers today desperately need each other and we've forgotten it. They couldn't be spiritually strong and victorious and close to God and overcome the temptation of the evil one and have the strength to be a light in the world without the family of God. And they knew that. And it's exactly the same today. But so many Christians, we've forgotten it. A mental health expert recently said, today, on purpose, intentionally, most people are seeking autonomy and they're seeking independence, meaning I don't want to have to rely on anyone. In many ways, we're, we're trying to design a life without the risk of intimacy. And so we'll just kind of observe our friends on social media. It's like scroll, 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 double tap, double tap, scroll. No, I'll unfollow you. You post the same thing too often. I don't do that. <laughs> We want to have friends without real intimate interaction. We want to go to work post-COVID without the hassles of relationship, meaning, well, I want to have the flexible schedule. I, I don't want to have the, the accountability to be back in the office. You're not going to tell me to get back into the office because I'm going to work from home in my pajamas. I also don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to shop online, bank online, have friends online, watch my sermons online. But what this mental health expert said, and I quote, he said, People are intentionally pursuing a life that destroys their mental health and robs them of real joy and lasting fulfillment. That's pretty strong. Like, people are intentionally. I think that we're unintentionally doing it, but I guess when we peel back the layers, he's onto something. Because what's crazy is, for the most part, we acknowledge, like, yeah, that's right, especially post-COVID, like, but then we go on and we do it. We are living in a world that's intentionally pursuing a life that is counterproductive to the things that matter most to God. And God never intended it to be that way. So I'm about to share with you something that's painfully embarrassing and something that I'm super guilty of and trying to work on. So if you see yourself in this, just know you're not alone. In recent months, there have been people that I know that have passed away, uh, they've gone to heaven, or. I, at least I know the families who've been impacted by these. And right away when I hear these things, my heart breaks and I, it, I usually send them a message. I'll try and send them flowers if I can and just kind of support them, encourage them. But what I'm embarrassed is about the way that me and people today express our love. Because from my observations once an obituary is kind of posted online someone posted on social media there's usually this outpouring of love and support and encouragement and maybe someone shares a quick memory memory or two and nowadays you see a lot of like we're praying for you we love you we're so sorry thoughts and prayers 
And it's nice, it's encouraging to read them and be reminded of people whose lives have been impacted because of this person. But beyond social media, there might be a few that will actually send flowers and then maybe a few less that will actually pick up the phone and call. But the strangest thing to happen nowadays is when you hear the knock at the door. You're like, who's there? Actually, Eugene showed up at my door the other day and my texts weren't going through to him and I'm getting my kids ready for bed and I hear a knock and I'm like, who's knocking at the door? <laughs> he was dropping some stuff off for me, so thank you, Eugene. <laughs> but it's so weird, this traditional expression of love, friendship, care, concern, knocking at the door has become obsolete. It's become kind of weird nowadays. It's like, wait, I didn't get a text saying you were coming right now. Or, and that's why I'm embarrassed because I actually fall into this category of just sending flowers or sending the text. But what I'm realizing is that the ways that we show love nowadays and almost every interaction is void of personal voice and of personal presence. And when someone does what has been the most traditional expression of love for years, it just feels weird. But God never intended it to be that way. And that's why I tell you, I have a vision for a church that when the service is over, you stay in the room. And when the check is paid, you stay at the table. And when the tears stop flowing, you keep on hugging. Will it feel weird? Absolutely, <laughs> at first. Then it will start getting more normal again. But what I want you to know and understand is that this is never gonna happen by accident. You're not just gonna wake up one day and be like, how do I get all these close friends and people loving on me and checking in on me? Like, it just doesn't happen. It requires intentionality. And I have to thank Amanda for helping me become more intentional in recent years and the recent season to, to invite people over. Because sometimes I'm just like, ah, oh, let's just stay in and watch Netflix again or the games on. And she's like, no, we need to have people over. And she's helped force me out of the, some of these things sometimes. But do you know what I've discovered? I need it. Like after I spend time with people and it's not just because I don't know if I'm an introvert or extrovert, who knows, but it's not just because I'm extrovert if we go with that. It's because we need each other. Like that is life giving. That's how we build community. And I believe that's what God wants all of us to have. That's what God wants you to have. So one thing I'm working towards as a church are actually forming life groups. I've mentioned this a couple times recently. And in fact, I already see some of them emerging. One of the things I forgot to announce this morning is that the guys on May 17th, we are going to an escape room. So if you are interested in that, talk to me or Trevor, the guy wearing the maple leaf sweater and a big smile. <laughs> Miracles do exist. <laughs> And not just because we survived COVID. But I see some of these things already emerging within our community. Like I know there's been games nights and there's been women getting together and there's been different prayer walks happening. And, and these life groups aren't cookie cutter things. It's not like here's the agenda, here's this. They're designed to be a family to do life with. Maybe you're just in a similar season. Maybe you have a similar schedule. Maybe you can only meet once a month or once a quarter. That, it's about doing life together. That's how we build community. So I'm gonna promise you, 
or propose to you <laughs> that probably one in three of you actually need a community like this. So when I talk about going to a life group, I just want to rip the band-aid off and kind of name what you're thinking. That I'm an introvert and this sounds like, heck, yes. <laughs> it might feel like that. You might hate it. You might be like, oh, I don't want to go to, to, to this group and share my stuff with strangers. It's not going to be perfect. I just want to get out of there. And yeah, all of that can be true. But that's why we need it, because we're trying to isolate ourselves. But the weirdness and the messiness of it all, that's just part of doing life together. That's part of being a family. Being part of a family and getting involved with people, it's hard, it's messy, but it's always necessary. It's always important. It's always God-honoring in your life. So I'm gonna push you just a little bit and tell you that some of you really need this. You need community because it will help you grow beyond just the Sunday morning service. If this is all you're getting spiritually, let me just say you need more. And yes, there are ways of doing it through the YouVersion Bible app, through different studies, but we need physical proximity. We need emotional unity. So as we continue to be the church and prepare for life groups to emerge, I believe we need to be intentional because a Jesus-honoring life group is gonna be three things. The first thing it will be is a gathering of grace. It will be a gathering of grace. And I like this paraphrased version of Philippians 1 verse 7. Paul says, you have a permanent place in my heart. You've remained partners with me in the wonderful grace of God. Because when you get together with broken people, what you're gonna find is that it's a safe place to belong. It's a safe place to believe. It's a safe place to come and explore and take your next steps toward Jesus. It's a gathering of grace. And since we're just forming our life groups, we don't have a lot of uh, stories and history to, to lean on. But one amazing story coming from another church is that of a single mom. She was invited to church and she was scared to death because she was an exotic dancer. In fact, we used to have a church plant in a strip club up in Guelph called The Manor, and it solely focused on reaching exotic dancers. But this, this woman, she, she went and she felt loved, but no one knew what she did. And after hearing the message from the pastor and hearing about life's group, she was so hurting and broken that she took a risk. And she went to a group of people her age, and she had a story ready that she was gonna tell them about her not real job because she didn't wanna be laughed at or run out of the place. Well, earlier on in the life group, some other guy, a male, started confessing about a pornography struggle. And with her normal church background and her experiences, she thought, this guy's nuts for sharing what he's sharing. They're gonna criticize him, they're gonna shame him, but none of that happened. In fact, the opposite happened. They listened to him, they prayed for him, and they loved him. And she was taken aback, and she just blurted out, I need help. I'm a single mom. I'm a stripper and it pays so good that I'm not, I can't do anything else. I don't know what to do. And they did exactly what they did to the guy. They just loved her. They welcomed her. They prayed for her. And at the end, without her knowing, they actually took up an offering and they designated it to another person to give to her. And they said, this is to pay your rent. And we're going to continue to pay your rent if you leave your profession now. And we'll try and help you get set up with another job. So she actually quit her job. 
they covered her rent and she was so blown away that another person actually helped connect her with another job. And by the end of that very same week, she was employed somewhere else, a little bit lower salary, but a lot higher self-worth because she was becoming who God wanted her to become. She was moving closer to God and her life was being transformed. And while not to the same extent here, we already have several stories of people we've been able to help connect with various jobs and others and housing. We have Michaela, our very first kids worker, and she was going through to become a mechanic and then her job placement fell through. And one of my groomsmen opened a shop out in Ancaster and she still works there to this day. So when I go to get my tires changed and oil changed, I'm like, Michaela, how's it going? Keith. He's not one that we've necessarily come alongside to help. He's been the person to come alongside and help others. He's pretty much helped everyone in the community. It's probably quicker to go through who he hasn't helped yet. But Dave, he lost his job. That was Michaela's dad. And he desperately needed one to support his family. And we prayed for him and, and he got a job. And actually he got two jobs. And Marjorie came to us as a single mom and, and she met Christ and her life has been transformed. And Deb, who moved into the community and then lost her housing and we were able to move several times and we still have an impact with her today. But the running joke is that I need to stop praying for people because every time we do, it takes them out of the community. I'm like, man, where are they? <laughs> but you know what? Praise God. Because it's not about us. It's not about the well community church. This is about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, because we are the church. But what I want you to know is that you're going to walk in with your own version of something. When you come to a group, you're going to come in carrying something. We all do, but you're welcome. You are welcome with your questions. You're welcome with your doubts. You're welcome with your hurts, your addictions, your baggage. You're welcome with your depression. You're just welcome because everybody else there is kind of broken too. And that's why it's a gathering of grace. Secondly, a Jesus honoring life group is a gathering of healing. I don't know about you, but I need to heal. And not just because I'm very injury prone. I've had to miss some services before because I've rolled ankles an hour before, and <laughs> but I would appreciate the prayer. <laughs> but there are seasons where we're carrying pain, grief, sorrow, just a heaviness, and sometimes we're just carrying too much, and we need others to help bring healing and to help carry the load. A lot of times, people think God does everything, but the way God created us is, yeah, God does a lot for us, but he also does a lot through his people. We tend to think we go to God, you know, for healing and then God can heal, but God also has another way of bringing healing. When we confess our sins to God, he forgives us. When we confess our needs and our hurts to other people, there's actually healing in community. In fact, scripture in James 5, 16, it says, therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. You come into this gathering of grace and then there's a place for healing. You pray for one another and somehow God loves you and meets your needs and heals you through other people. And one of the most memorable moments is when God used a friend to bring healing to me. It was with my buddy John, actually the mechanic out in Ancaster. This was back in the day before God grabbed a hold of my life and called me into ministry. So let's just say that he was helping me develop my testimony. Um, but I had had a rough night. It was about one or two in the morning. I'd made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision. And I was 
feeling terrible. I was feeling ashamed. And I just felt like nothing I could do would get me through this moment. But even though it was early in the morning, I decided to pick up the phone and call John. And for some reason, I don't know why, he actually picked up. <laughs> and he's like, all right, I'll be up there. And he hopped in his car in East Hamilton and drove up the mountain and he just sat with me. I, I really don't remember him saying anything that night other than like, should we make coffee? I'm like, yeah. He just sat with me. And God used that moment to bring healing to my life, to just have someone to sit there with. And I shared with him what I was going through, what I had done, all my bad decisions. He didn't bring judgment, just grace. And God brought healing. And it wasn't long after that moment when Jesus ended up meeting me in that very same room where I sat with John. He opened my eyes to the destruction, this life that I was living, and he brought healing to my life. He completely transformed my life. So if we're the church and we're gonna do life together, our groups have to be a gathering of grace and they have to be a gathering of healing. And then we can't miss this. As we gather, as we become a Jesus-honoring life group, we have to gather on mission. It will be a gathering of mission, meaning we have a divine purpose and we have a divine calling from our Heavenly Father. It's a gathering of mission. It's not just this haphazard thing that we just get together and just kind of, uh, I don't know, I'm drawing a blank on the phrasing. Amanda always makes fun of, the, fun of me that I merge my, uh, my sayings into one, but I want to look at this text again from Acts chapter 2. Every day, every day these people, they needed each other. They continued to meet together. They ate with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying that the favor of all the people. And then scripture says what? The Bible says, and then the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. This wasn't just a little life group where it's like us four, no more. Like nobody gets in. We love Jesus, but we don't love you. Like we all know those groups exist. No, this was a community that was so in love with Jesus that other people saw the love of Jesus. They wanted the love of Jesus. And the Lord added to their number daily daily, every single day, those who are being saved and brought into the kingdom of God. So church, we are missional in what we do, and we have to continue to be missional in what we do. And in fact, if you look at the New Testament, there's 59 different one another verses. So we're going to look at them all. I'm just kidding. I'm almost at the end. <laughs> we're going to look at five of them. And when you look at these five, they all have a missional aspect. They, they show us what we're called to do as the body of Christ. That we can't do scrolling on our phones. That we can't do staying at home alone. We're called to do this. We're called to serve one another. Serve, serve, serve. The greatest are those who serve. That's missional. We're called to serve. We're also called to show hospitality to one another. When was the last time you had someone in your home and not just to repair a leaky faucet or... Sometimes I feel bad. That's the only time I see my brother. He's here today, but <laughs> then it's like, Rob, I have a plumbing problem. He's like, all right, I'll be up. And also with my buddy, John. Okay, I need my tires changed. And hey, John, it's embarrassing. But when's the last time we had someone over in our home 
for dinner? When's the last time that we intentionally gathered with people to pray together, to worship together? Because we really do need each other. And Mark and Alicia, since I'm singling everyone out today, I love that a month ago when the power was out here and we couldn't actually meet here because it was freezing cold and we had no lights. Then they opened up their house and we just hopped over there and we we worshiped together. It, It was beautiful. I know I need to show hospitality and I need to be shown hospitality. And then we're also called to be kind to one another. In a world filled with hate that will cancel you so fast that your head will spin, we need kindness. I know I need kindness, I know you need kindness. I know that I need to be kind to others. Amanda used my road rage illustrations too much that she's starting to call me out on it. And I'm like, I'm just trying to get more sermon material. She's like, calm down. (laughs) We need to be kind to one another. We're also called to encourage one another. Anybody here need encouragement? (laughs) Anybody need to give encouragement? Encourage each other as long as it's called today. It's your mission. Like literally the person sitting next to you might need encouragement today and you have no idea. And you may not know if you run out the door, but that's why I've got a vision for a church if we, that when the church service is finished, we stay in the room. And finally, we're called to carry one another's burdens. It's no secret that I need help, like I need you supporting me and carrying me some days, and and some days you need help, that we need to come alongside. And I'm always so grateful for every email, text, conversation, like sincerely grateful, but we need more. So it would be easy for me to wrap up this message by saying, let's imagine the possibilities. But I believe we can already see that. We, we kind of know the possibilities of what would happen if we were united together, if we had real community in the body of Christ. Like, we could meet the needs of the community in the world. We could meet the needs of the elderly in the community. We could help children find foster care and get placed in loving homes. We could help those in bondage of addiction find freedom. We could start more churches in cities around the world so that every hurting and broken person would hear the love of Jesus. And while all of this is true and good, what we need to do today is I just want to talk to you because many of you know that there's something better, that the way things are right now, God never intended it to be. So for you, I just want to say, what's your next step of faith? That's our mission here at The Well, is to help people take their next step toward Jesus. It might be a risk. It it might feel uncomfortable stepping out of your your bubble. Remember we had to bubble up during COVID? (laughs) To step out of our bubbles and actually love someone as God loves you. And when you see someone who's hurting, maybe the person next to you, or maybe on the other side, or When you see someone in need, you see someone who's lost a loved one, maybe this time, rather than just leaving the comment, don't send the text, but maybe pick up the phone and call them. Or better yet, you drive over to their place or walk over to their place if you're here in Binbrook, and you knock on the door, and you just wrap your arms around them. And when the tears stop flowing, you just keep on hugging. And then one day, when you're the person who's hurting, someone will do the exact same thing for you. Because who are we? We are the church. We don't just go to church, we are the church. We're the body of Christ. 
We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the bearers of good news. We're the feet that bring the story of the gospel. And what we do, how we show love to the least of these, we're actually doing it unto Jesus. Friends, we are the church. We exist for the world. This is how we love. So I have a vision for church that when the service is over, we stay in the room. When the check is paid, we stay at the table. And when the tears stop flowing, we keep on hugging because we are the church. Let's pray. Father, do a work in us. Stir us up to be who you want us to be. And as you're praying today, without looking around, I just wonder how many of you know the life that you're living isn't the way God intended it to be. And you want to be more intentional in showing the love of God. If that resonates with you, would you just lift up your hands right now so I could pray with you? Just saying, yeah, God, I want to be more intentional in showing the love of God. Father, do a work in us. Help us to become countercultural in a culture that distances others. God, help us to draw near. And for those of you who need to take a big risk and start a small community, a life group, or, or to join one, I, I pray that this wouldn't be a message that you feel and then go on with your life, but that you would recognize that you desperately need one another. And I pray that you take action. God, make us more intentional to show your love as you loved us. And as we keep praying, I just need to tell you about the goodness of God. He didn't create us because he was lonely. He created us because he is love. And what he wants to do is he wants you to receive his love. Love is not just something he does, it's who he is. So I want you to hear this and feel it. Jesus loves you. God didn't just shout his love from heaven, he showed his love on earth when he sent his son Jesus for the broken, for the sick, for sinners. And he gave his life so our sins could be forgiven. God raised him from the dead so that no matter what you've done, no matter how broken you are, you can know God, you can be forgiven by God, and you can be made new by God. So if that's you, take a step toward Jesus. Just take a moment now to call on Jesus, and I promise you, he hears your prayers, he forgives your sin, and he will make you brand new. Start this journey of getting to know the God who loves you. So let's all just, in the quietness of our hearts, just pray this prayer of committing and recommitting our lives to Christ. It's just, Heavenly Father, forgive me. Thank you for your forgiveness. Jesus, save me and make me new. Fill me with your spirit so that I can know you and show your love everywhere I go. Jesus, my life is not my own. I give it all to you. Thank you for new life. You have all of mine. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.